0: once we survive the disease we now have to face the financial burden of that particular event
1: by a term 10 you will have a set premium for those 10 years and in 10 years that contract is renewable but you should be expecting that your premium is going to rise
0: i hear a lot of my colleagues uh having purchased critical illness insurance through their employer or even their group association. And I very often hear that they only purchase uh, $50,000 in coverage. From what you just mentioned, it seems to be insufficient.
1: How's my financial health doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals where financial security and wealth topics
0: are not a taboo. Welcome back everybody to the How's My Financial Health Doc podcast. This week we're going to be talking about uh, a different type of risk mitigation tool Uh, and uh, we're going to be having a deep dive on a product and a vehicle called critical illness. The purpose of this podcast is really to help healthcare professionals manage their finance so that it provides financial security and eventually if we do this right maybe financial wealth. But the reason and the main goal of properly monitoring and properly and and properly setting up your own personal finance is so that you feel financially secure and that you're not constantly running on that uh, what I call hamster treadmill and hopefully this will free up some time which is the only true asset we have and so with this time you can spend doing the things that you love and like for example spending time with your family So the whole idea and goal of this podcast is not really to make you richer or to give you more money. The entire goal of this podcast and this whole venture that I'm embarking on is really to give people back time, the only asset we really cherish. So please, don't take this opportunity to go buy a new Ferrari or to go buy a new uh, car or a new cottage or a boat. That's really not the goal of these type of podcasts. This week, we will have with us again uh, my good friend, Terry Pitts, uh, who's a financial advisor and also providing us with the expertise. Terry, um, good morning. How are you doing?
1: Good morning, Vu. How are you doing this morning? It's good to be back. Thanks again. Uh, It's always a pleasure to get onto
0: these podcasts and talk about these important issues. Absolutely, it's a beautiful day today. It's bright and sunny, uh, but still a little bit cold. Um, so Terry, we've had a really good time uh, on the last episode talking about disability insurance. Are you ready to jump into critical illness?
1: Absolutely. Uh, another topic which I regard is so important. You know. Uh, when you talk about critical illness insurance, as opposed to car insurance, you you know everybody knows that you need to have car insurance to protect your car. You protect uh, you purchase home insurance in case of a fire, but are you covered for other risks that may have a major impact on your life? Uh, you know, facing uh, critical illness can be emotionally and physically devastating, and it can also lead to significant. And unexpected costs that won't be covered by your provincial employee health plans. So the last thing you want to think about is the you know, the financial burden when you're trying to recover from a critical illness.
0: What we are really talking about this week is just another tool in that uh, first step of the orders of operation. Um, and this is a tool to manage and mitigate risk because life will throw us a lot of curveballs, and we need to be ready for that. And we need to be ready to manage all those risks. So one of these tools is an insurance product called critical illness. Terry, we're gonna dive deep into this uh, topic. So let's just start by asking the question, what is critical illness?
1: So critical illness insurance is a type of insurance that provides a lump sum cash benefit if you're diagnosed with one of the covered conditions outlined in the policy and satisfying your waiting period. So the money is yours to use however you want. Uh, You can use it to help pay for medical bills and prescriptions or replace lost income or make mortgage payments. You can also use the, the funds to hire a nurse or caregiver to help you out at home if that's what you need. Uh, Most critical illness insurances cover up to 24 critical conditions, including which are the most common that we see, uh, cancer, heart attack, and stroke. Plus, many of the plans have an early intervention benefit, so you can receive up to 25% of your benefit for conditions that are not life-threatening, but may alter your life. Hey Vu, one, uh, one interesting fact I'd like to interject before we move forward. A lot of people don't know this, but it was actually the brother to the physician who performed the first human-to-human heart transplant, who was Dr. Christian Barnard. His brother is the person who invented critical illness insurance. Uh, like his brother, Dr. Marius Barnard was also a cardiac surgeon in Cape Town, South Africa. And what he saw was that he could actually heal people's bodies but he couldn't heal the financial toll that their illness and treatment took on the lives of them and their families so it was Dr. Mary Barnard that created critical illness insurance to offset that and the first policy was issued in South Africa in 1983
0: that's a very interesting uh, piece of fact Um, obviously this physician has been a great um, practitioner, but even he recognized that there has to be something else to protect uh, his patients from financial burden. So, as we're talking about financial burden and we're thinking about critical illness, do you have some numbers of what that represent?
1: Yeah, good, good question. Yes, yeah, some of the numbers look like this. So according to the Canadian Cancer Society, one in two men, and one in 2.2 women in Canada will develop cancer in their their lifetime. And according to the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada, every year there are 70,000 heart attacks and more than 62,000 strokes. So the good news is that more people are surviving illnesses more than ever before. Uh, 60% of Canadians diagnosed with cancer are expected to survive. 95% of Canadians who have a heart attack and are hospitalized also survive. And 80 plus percent of Canadians who have a stroke and are hospitalized also survive.
0: These are in fact very good numbers, Um, but you and I understand that it comes with a, a downside. So if we do survive these cancers and heart attacks, Uh, sometimes you know there's a long period of rehabilitation or there's a long period of recovery, in which point uh, most of us cannot work or cannot work full-time. And so there's going to be a financial burden. And I think you make a good point in providing these numbers, especially the good news, is that once we survive the disease, we now have to face the financial burden of that particular event, which is what that doctor in South Africa was thinking about right
1: exactly he was definitely forward-thinking
0: so we definitely talked about um, the three top diseases you mentioned cancer you mentioned heart attack and you mentioned stroke Uh, but you did say 24 conditions can you uh, list them for us so that we clearly understand what most policies will currently cover in terms of critical illness
1: yeah so here, here's a list of what most policies will cover acquired brain injury aortic surgery aplastic anemia bacterial meningitis benign brain tumor blindness and by the way if you haven't figured out yet these are in alphabetical order next up coma coronary artery bypass surgery, deafness, dementia, including Alzheimer's disease, heart attack, we mentioned before, heart valve replacement or repair, kidney failure, life-threatening cancer, loss of independent existence, loss of limbs, loss of speech, major organ failure, while you're on a waiting list and major organ transplant multiple sclerosis occupational hiv infection paralysis parkinson's disease and specified atypical parkinsonian disorders severe burns and finally stroke last but not least very important
0: one you mentioned a uh, one disease that is particularly interesting Uh, you mentioned loss of independence existence Uh, for me that is very broad and so i would like you to tell us what that really means and also is this a standard uh, condition that is being offered or is that an option uh, which we call a rider so
1: so that's a good question and so depending on the company Some will have that loss of independent existence as part of their conventional coverage. Others will have it as an add-on or an added benefit or what we call a rider. And we discussed that last time we talked about disability insurance. So let me explain what loss of independent existence means. What it means is the total inability to perform by yourself at least two of the following six activities of daily living. Those activities include bathing, dressing, toileting, bladder and bowel continence, transferring, meaning the ability to move in and out of bed by yourself or feeding, meaning the ability to consume food or drink on your own, or if you have to have assistance doing that. So that's your, that's your loss of independent existence explained. And again, going back, it's the inability to perform at least two of the six of those activities.
0: Thank you for defining uh, what loss of independence existence mean. For me, it seems to be pretty broad and wide coverage. Any condition that will lead to any loss of two out of the six domain will be eligible to claim for this critical illness. And so it's a very broad term and it's very important for us as we look into these policies to figure out if this is a standard uh, condition offered or this is part of a rider or an option to purchase. Thank you for uh, explaining that uh, very clearly to us, what are the different conditions offered. So now I'm ready to buy a policy. So how do we buy one? What are the different um, options and terms that we can choose from? So explain that uh, process to us, uh, Terry.
1: Yeah, so much like life insurance, critical illness insurance can be bought with specific terms and time. So someone may be thinking of having coverage for 10 years. Others might be thinking 20 years depending on your age then we have terms which we call level term which really goes to 75 and eventually you can actually buy permanent which is paid up to and paid out at age 100. So those are your various choices.
0: It sounds to me like it's a very flexible type of product where we can choose what our needs are based on our age. Uh, medical condition and where we start in life um, so what you're saying to me as well is if we if I'm 35 and I would like to purchase critical illness insurance until age 75 uh, I would purchase one that is a level uh, premium which means that it'll stay the same until age 75 and that will be uh, much cheaper than buying a renewable term every 10 years where the premium may potentially go up every 10 years. Is that correct, Terry?
1: Yes, that's, that's exactly correct, Vu. If you buy a term 10, you will have a cent premium for those 10 years, and in 10 years, that contract is renewable, but you should be expecting that your premium is gonna rise. For example, I'll give you an example of a a term 10 for a 35-year-old female, $250,000 of coverage. You'd have a monthly premium of $71 and that would be set and locked in from year one to 10. Now in that contract, you'll have the opportunity to renew in 10 years, but now the premium goes up to $163 monthly. So that would be from year 11 to 20 Year 21, you have another opportunity to renew, and that premium is set at $330. That's for the next 10 years. And then at year 31, your premium would be set to $660 monthly. And that would extend you to the the end of the policy, which would be up to $875. In contrast, if you were to take a level premium which would take you to age 75 your monthly premium would be hundred and seventy-six dollars all the way from age 35 to age 75 that would be locked in that premiums locked in it's set and good throughout the whole term of the policy up to age 75
0: so a quick question for you Terry um, in the renewable uh, after uh, every term uh, is the renewable an automatic as part of the contract or is that an option or a rider and the second question is at time of renewal do I need to go through another physical and another blood test
1: so good questions so to your first question uh, it is not a rider that is part of the contract so it is renewable and the answer to the second question is no Once you've done your underwriting, it's done throughout the life of the policy. So no further underwriting, no more medicals. The last thing I'd like to mention is that if you were to take a 10-year renewable policy, it's also convertible and that's convertible up to the age of 65, meaning you can at any point convert the 10-year policy into a level policy which covers you up to
0: age 75. Thank you for explaining that, Terry. So the way I understood what you just said is if I'm at age 35 and buys a policy uh, and I buy a term 10 at age 45, I can now convert it. uh, And if I do convert it, I'm paying a level premium to the age 75. But after the age of 65, I no longer have the opportunity to convert. So if I'm now age 66 and I want to convert now, the policy no longer allows me to.
1: That's correct Vu.
0: Now let's jump into another uh, section of this topic. Now that I know I have the different terms and the different uh, renewal and convertible options, a lot of the questions that I get from my colleagues, and I'm sure you get the same thing from your clients, the question is, how do i know how much i need how much of coverage should i get so terry you get that all the time how do you help your clients answer that
1: so that's a great question Boo. and what we do there is we conduct a needs analysis now when i do a needs analysis for one of my clients i try to do this on uh, i do it every time actually and it's done whether it's life insurance critical illness insurance disability insurance When we're looking at critical illness insurance, things we want to look at, rule of thumb generally is two to three years income.
0: I'm assuming you are referring to uh, two to three years gross income, right?
1: Yes. Generally speaking, it is gross income, but again, it's a case-by-case situation. In our analysis, we'll also take into consideration mortgage or mortgages, any other debts, lines of credit, and definitely we want to put in or factor in an emergency fund into your overall benefit and coverage.
0: You mentioned earlier about underwriting for each policy, and I think it's very important for the audience to understand what are the different factors they use to underwrite a policy. Can you help us list some of these? Yeah,
1: so uh, the main thing they're going to look at is your age and your medical history those are going to be two important factors Uh, extending from medical history they will also look at your family history which would include your parents and grandparents but wouldn't include aunts uncles or cousins Uh, they're also going to look at uh, whether you're a smoker or non smoking now just on that particular thing uh, in recent years, the changes have been made to marijuana use, and now the use of marijuana is considered non-smoker, interestingly enough. Uh, one other thing they'll look at is your alcohol use, but not to be overly concerned about that unless you have a problem. Those are the main things that they'll look at when it comes to underwriting.
0: You mentioned uh, drug uh, use and uh, cannabis. What about the other drugs? What uh, does these uh, carers say about other types of recreational drug use.
1: Yes, they will scrutinize it and it will be a factor in your underwriting.
0: Now that we reviewed um, the different factors that come into our needs analysis to figure out how much we need in terms of coverage, and we talked about the different factors in underwriting, what are the minimum and maximum coverages for critical illness insurance? What has been typical for your clients, Terry?
1: So generally speaking, I've seen the coverages as low as $10,000 and right up to two and a half million. Now I know companies will go over the two and a half million, but that again will usually be on a case by case basis.
0: When you um, meet with your clients who are healthcare professionals, what are the typical rule of thumb that you would start with? Obviously, there's a discussion about the needs, but what are the things that you would start with, or how much?
1: Yeah, so depending on the the client, uh, for instance, a nurse practitioner, I could see easily starting at a hundred thousand, and a family physician, I would usually see around two hundred and fifty thousand as a minimum.
0: I hear a lot of my colleagues. Uh, having purchased critical illness insurance through their employer or even their group association, and I very often hear that they only purchase uh, $50,000 in coverage. From what you just mentioned, it seems to be insufficient, given the numbers that you just provided to us.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, you know that's an important point. So if you look at group insurance. Versus your own individual plan, you know, there are some pros and cons. I, I guess the, you know, the con is that there is going to be limited cover job op- offered usually. And sometimes 50,000 is actually a really good, uh, that's a really good amount, even though it, it is quite limited. You may not even see it that high sometimes. Most group plans will usually go in around five or 10. Um, the other thing is that. You know, with the group plan, there's no under, underwriting done until time of claim. So what that means is an opportunity because the, you know, the the plan doesn't realize your family history. There's a possibility that the claim wouldn't pay out. And then lastly, the other thing that really limits the group plan is it's not portable. So once you leave the group, you don't have the coverage. Now the upside is that the, the coverage is easier to attain. And some people might even see that the fact that you don't have to underwrite has a benefit. So those are really the pros and cons of group plans versus your own individual plan.
0: You are correct. Uh, there's definitely pros and cons to uh, group uh, in uh, critical illness insurance. But here's how I see things. So if the coverage is only limited to five, ten, or even fifty thousand, for a healthcare professional that really doesn't seem high enough. If you just think about a nurse practitioner or even a physician or a dentist uh, that are high income earners, you can definitely see how even the upper limit number of 50000 uh, of coverage will maybe cover one to two months of expenses. If uh, a physician or a dentist or a nurse practitioner is in rehab after a major stroke, and have to be you know off work for six months. Fifty thousand is absolutely insufficient coverage, and so from my perspective, uh, I agree with you that a minimum of a hundred thousand or even two fifty is a must. A coverage of fifty thousand is absolutely insufficient. Coming back to the point of underwriting, so it is. Important for us to figure out that while we're healthy we don't really care about this underwriting issue But when we are at time of claim and remember we claim because an event happened either because of a heart attack or a coronary bypass or a stroke This is really not the time to be fighting with the insurance company who has declined your claim And so for me, it's really important to set the expectations right from the get-go and have the underwriting at the beginning. It is an annoyance and it is a a bothersome process, but when a time of claim, it is a much simpler process for us when we are going through bad times. So I'd rather know right at the beginning uh, what the expectations are. Don't you agree, uh, Terry?
1: Yes, you really don't want to be fighting with an insurance company when you're already ill.
0: I would also like to make a comment about the portability uh, factor. So if I'm practicing in BC and I bought my critical insurance policy from the association, if I decide to move to Montreal or Calgary or Toronto, I lose that critical illness policy from BC. And I have to start all over again in Ontario or Quebec or Alberta. But it, what it also means is that I may be older, or I may have developed a illness, at which point, if I want to purchase critical illness all over again, my premiums may not be the same as when I was age 35. So that's the danger of a non-portable uh, policy. It's a fact that we have to go through underwriting all over again, get the blood test and physical all over again, but now have to live with the risk of a higher premium for the exact same coverage. And that seems unpalatable for me.
1: And yes, I, I completely agree with that, Boo. And and not only is, uh, just to mention the portability of your own individual policy, not only is it portable right across Canada, it's portable around the world.
0: Meaning if you move to another country, you can take your plan with you. Which is why it's absolutely crucial to have it underwritten uh, at the beginning and uh, most group insurance or employer offered insurance or association offered insurance do not have underwriting and for me that is a crucial crucial first step now that we understand this uh, a little bit more I want to move on to the topic of options and riders the same way we did riders for disability insurance what are the different riders for critical illness insurance so
1: good good question vuk so typical riders that can be added to a policy into a person's coverage are and we mentioned this one before loss of independent existence like i said sometimes that's right into the policy sometimes it's a rider there's also the opportunity to add a rider called second event which means in the case of you had experienced cancer uh, that would be your first event if you have it, a second event rider you'd still be on policy or under contract in case you had uh, let's say a heart attack somewhere down the road the policy would pay out another percentage of the policy usually 50% of your initial coverage or $100,000 whichever is less and then there's the return of premium riders which could be set up to pay out return of premium at death and even a return of premium set somewhere down the road instead of death it'd be set up at year 15 or 20 or at the end of the contract so these are the main riders that I would look at adding to a policy considering the individuals or company need
0: hold on why do you say company uh, what are you trying to refer to uh, Terry
1: yeah well, that's a great Great question. And perhaps that where we can talk about using critical illness as a business strategy or corporate strategy.
0: Okay, Terry. So I guess what you're now embarking into is a discussion for healthcare professionals or small business owners in which we now um, take into consideration the corporation. So for people who are incorporated, what are the strategies we can use with critical illness?
1: Yes, so here, here's a strategy I would like to discuss, it's called, we call it the Executive Health Plan, or in the past it's called the Executive Health Savings Plan. And what it does, it allows your company or your corporation to own a critical illness policy jointly with the individual shareholder. So in the case of an incorporated physician, it would be the physician jointly owning a policy with their company. And how it's set up is that your company will own the policy and receive a tax-free lump sum benefit in the case that the shareholder or the physician is diagnosed with a covered critical illness. And if you remain healthy, you could benefit from tax advantages and get back all your disbursements
0: made by both you and your company to the policy. What that means is that your, po- your corporation owns the policy on your behalf, in which the physician, the nurse practitioner, the dentist, or the insuree, and your company, the corporation, pays for half of the disbursements, i.e. the premiums.
1: Yes, that, that's exactly how. And how we set it up is that the policy eventually is jointly owned by the corporation and the individual. And how it works is that, recall that we talked about return of premium, which is a rider, So we'd set the policy up in a way that we include that rider. So the company pays the premium for the policy and the shared part of the premium by the individual or the shareholder is the return of premium rider. And that's how we set this up for the long
0: run. So that is a good strategy. You mentioned the return of premium either at expiration of the contract or at death. So explain to us how does that work uh, and who does the return of premium go to? Yeah,
1: good question. Why, why don't I give you an example? Let's, let's talk about Natalie. Natalie's a physician, she's age 45 and she's the shareholder of her professional the major shareholder of a professional corporation. So Natalie sets up this critical illness policy, which we will call the executive health plan with a term ending on her 75th birthday, which is that term 75 we referred to before. And she decides that she's looking for a critical insurance, critical illness insurance amount of $500,000. So this is how they're gonna set up. The company is going to pay $8,000 a year. Natalie is gonna share in the premium of $5,000 a year, which pertains to a return of premium rider. So the overall premium for this plan is $13,000 annually. Keep in mind, it's for a $500,000 benefit. So at age 60, let's take it up to age 60. So at 15 years, Natalie has her first opportunity to to exercise the return of premium rider. So if Natalie has remained healthy at 15 years, the company will have invested $120,000 and change. Natalie will have invested $76,000. Now let's back it up a bit. Say Natalie became ill at, at that point or any time up until that point, the company would receive a $500,000 tax-free benefit. However, if Natalie has remained healthy and she decides at that point she no longer needs the policy, she can elect to engage the return of premium rider and receive $196,800 tax-free which is a hundred percent of all the premiums she and the com- company jointly made if you're looking at numbers that's a gross return of 22 percent on investment that check is paid directly to natalie
0: herself tax-free
1: tax-free
0: so now natalie decides not to engage her return a premium rider and she holds a policy till match uh, maturation um age 75 what happens then
1: so at age 75 like you say the policy matures so at that point the company has invested two hundred and forty thousand dollars now she would again she'd become ill any up until or before that point the company is gonna receive a five hundred thousand dollars tax-free benefit but if she remains healthy the policy will mature The the return of premium uh, rider engages Altogether, between Natalie and the company, they've invested $393,000 into this pre- into this policy. 100% of all the premiums paid will be paid back directly to Natalie,
0: tax This amount is um, a- an amount that represents the entire uh, payment on uh, premiums throughout the years from age 35. Sorry, from age 45 to age 75. So essentially, you're getting your money back uh, at 0% interest. So there is a opportunity cost there where we didn't use this money to invest and compound uh, in interest gains.
1: But don't forget, given given the tax loss and the fact that the premiums are being returned directly to Natalie, which includes the company's portion of investment and Natalie's portion of investment, it actually it actually
0: calculates out to a gross return of eleven percent on investment. And that is a good point, Terry. Uh, at the same time, we are taking that money back tax free, and um, the other the other positive here is that for thirty years we've had critical illness uh, insurance coverage uh, at zero cost. So that is another extra good point about this particular strategy.
1: Yeah. And- Don't forget, wouldn't it be great if you get your house insurance reimbursed to you if your house didn't burn down?
0: Or with our car insurance. If we didn't have an accident and were claim free, I would love to have my uh, premiums back. But we know that that doesn't exist for home and car insurance. So this type of strategy for critical illness represents definitely an advantage. Thank you, Terry, for sharing this strategy with us. Uh, Obviously, this is a strategy that's only uh, applicable to uh, healthcare professionals who have their own professional corporation, or even for small business owners who have a corporation to do this.
1: Well Vu, this has been a great discussion and I think we've covered quite a bit of ground today.
0: I agree. As a primer, I think we've talked a lot about CI uh, and its uh, usefulness. And everybody to remember that this is part of the step one in the orders of operation. And this is one of the many tools to mitigate risk in life, because remember, life always throws us curveballs. So, Terry, thank you very much for spending the time with us today. Uh, it has been a great discussion and a very productive discussion, and I hope that the audience has really enjoyed the different pieces of information. I would love to invite you back next time when we talk about a different type of mitigation risk mitigation tool, and that tool would be life insurance, and we are will go through the different types of life insurance, term life, whole life, participating life, and universal life. Terry, I hope you'll be with us next time to discuss all these life insurance products. Absolutely,
1: boo. I look forward to having that discussion and we'll talk to you then.
0: Wonderful. Then this concludes the uh, episode on critical illness and I hope to see all of you at our next podcast. Cheers and signing out. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial tax investment or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.